Welcome back to System Ministrivia, the podcast where sometimes we don't know how to follow directions. This is Brent. <laughs> I'm Peyton. And I'm Forge. And with us today, yeah, with with us today we have Forge. You may recognize him from an earlier episode that I can't recall off the top of my list. Show one and two. Well, he, he's been on Shit Show 1 right. and 2, and he's also was a featured guest for uh, Season 1 uh, episode. I believe we talked about ISPs? Something. Something. Yeah. There was one serious conversation where I just can't remember what it was about. <laughs> right. There was one episode where he was. We actually. Anyways, so as Jathan mentioned last episode, he's been sort of under the weather, and his health problems are being addressed currently. He's broken. Uh, he's <laughs> he's broken. He is currently trying to catch up on rest, so he opted to sort of bail out for tonight. But you know that's okay. So it feels better. And so many cheap shots I'm not taking. <laughs> yeah. Jason, when you so hear this, I want you to take note of all the cheap shots I am not making. Right, exactly. So we're going to take it a little bit easier on him tonight because he's, he's, <laughs> he is not well. Or he is unwell. <laughs> unwell is um, what he said. A little bit easier. <laughs> unwell. I can definitely say I will not get him as upset with him not being here. <laughs> well, I'm. That's a <laughs> What's he going to do? Rage silently when he just hit the pause button? He rages silently against the dying of the night. He rages silently <laughs> silent, against the buttons, yeah. Silent, silent rage increasing. So, anyways, tonight we're going to be talking mostly about virtualization platforms. Because mostly. it's something I think all three of us have experience with. A little bit. I cool. have virtualized a few things. <laughs> good. That's good. I have at least one thing in my place that's virtualized. Currently. Good. Yeah, it works. So anyways, uh, before we get too deeply into that, what is everyone drinking? Forge, you can go first, because you're our guest here. Mountain Dew. Featured guest. Mm. I'm boring. Lame. Lame. Okay, I'll, I'll, take, I'll take that window of time where I should be talking about the fine single malt scotch that I'm indulging in in the moment to point <laughs> out that I heard some, some really believable sounding statistics that said something like, 60% of Americans have one drink a week or less and are considered non-drinkers. Something like 38% have between one and four drinks a week and are considered normal. And then there are 3% of Americans that drink something like 94% of America's alcohol consumption. Oh my gosh. And I know several Russians. of those people. <laughs> oh my gosh. I did see somewhere that millennials' wine drinking is up compared to beer and liquor. Beer is good. Beer is good. Wine's good. And stuff. I like wine. I don't I'm, want I'm more to be of a, a fan of, of red, but... Reds are nice. Reds are, reds are tasty. But no, like, like, like millennials like are Cameron drinking... Millen- millennials are consuming like 80% of the nation's wine or some huge statistic like that. I'd have to look it up. But if it's... I was a millennial, I'd be consuming 80% of the nation's wine too. <laughs> yeah. 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 Touche. Yeah. Peyton, what are you drinking? I have some Miller Lite. The uh, in-laws were down and we bought a 12-pack and I'm doing the job of finishing it off now. That it's, doing the needful. Doing, I am doing, doing the, needful. the needful. Absolutely. One of my favorite phrases in our industry. I love that. Do the needful. Do the, do the needful on this Miller Lite. <laughs> Rich, actually, uh, one of our co-workers there, the doctor, mm-hmm. does say do the needful, but he does it as a joke. I have used it myself in a, in a, in a joking, playful manner. It, it is a great phrase, though. I think it'll catch on in the long yeah. run, just because it means whatever you need it to mean. <laughs> right. Hey, right, right. this thing it's, over it's here, a filler phrase. do the needful. Do the needful. <laughs> I mean, he's doing uh, Oh, yeah, by the way. Miller Lite. Since since the last time Forge was on, Forge and Peyton now work together. So you may hear <laughs> some uh, some inside jokes and everything. And, and don't worry, I'm just as clueless about him as you are. So nah. it's the best thing in the entire world. <laughs> I have to tell you, I love going to work every day because I see his dopey smiling face. <laughs> Most days I see Peyton's face, but usually he's hiding in his own cube, and often he's going to a meeting. There you go. Yeah, yeah. He could yeah, get a lot more done if he didn't go to so many meetings. I, I feel like that's true of many uh, corporate America businesses, but... Unfortunately, the meetings I have to go to, I kind of have to be there. We have a planning meeting, and then we have an organizational meeting, and then we're going to have a scrum on that, a... and then we're going to have an well, impact well, then, assessment. Then we have, the, we have the planning meeting for the organiza- organization meeting, and then there's the scrum for that. Yep. Then there's the sprint planning session with the plan for the sprint that we're doing. And yeah, it's so much fun. It really is. <laughs> I, I, I sense a bit of a bit of sarcasm in your voice. No. <laughs> no. 
There is zero sarcasm. Before whatsoever. before it was at like maybe fifteen percent. Now it's at about seventy to eighty percent sarcasm. You're kidding, right? <laughs> <laughs> now we're now we've reached ninety five percent. I think we can move on. I am drinking bullet ten. Sweet. Still, again, whatever. But good, yeah, we're yeah, we're cruising. Great. Cruising right along. Peyton, go with yeah. the news. Okay. Well, first of all, FuzzCon's coming Woo. up. It's going to be August 26th. Both Brent and I will be there. I have a workshop going for an install fest and slash key signing. I think Forge is going to make it there as well. Oh, yeah. Brent is giving a talk about both podcasting, and then he's going to have a workshop about B-Disc. So please come down. Check us out. We won't have a table this year. I think we're working on a table at some point. Maybe. Whatever. Hopefully next year. Hopefully yeah. next year. Hopefully whenever next merch year. gets up. <laughs> whenever, Yeah, whenever we actually do some merch. We'd like to be able to hand things out, have a banner, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Minor mm-hmm. plug. Go ahead. Our immediate employer, ATS Group, is a sponsor this year. Yes. They have a booth. Yes. They I will saw have that. people. Yes. yes, we will actually have... You might actually be able to run into our favorite person in the whole wide world. Jaython? Andy? <laughs> No. Yeah. Andy Wojo. Yeah. yeah, he he was asking me today if I could if I could stay off the booth with him. And I was like, um uh um um and he's like, Well you could just attend too if you want and I'm like, uh yeah uh yeah, I may do that. I'll cover you for lunch. Notice he didn't ask me. <laughs> he knows you're gonna be there. I'm not I'm not like listed yeah, on anything. Right. I'm not presenting right. or anything, so Well no, no, you're vol- you're be you're being volunteer. Oh, I'm being voluntold. Voluntold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> Exactly. So, so yeah, well, all three of us will be there. Jason obviously won't because he's in Colorado, so he won't be... Lame. Uh, yeah, he won't be making the trip for a... I mean, to be fair, it's it's a pretty small con, so he, it's it's not it like really Hope is. where it's worth but the trip. But He could still come and hang out with us, you know? Yeah, I mean, if he wants to, but being that he is unwell and... Whatever. You know, however many hours away, I don't think he's going to make the trip for a, a free podunk little con. No offense to Foscon, it's a great con, but it's, it's a great it's con. Not, I was going to say, <laughs> yeah, no, best. it's huge. When I say podunk, it, no, it's not huge. That's my point. Yeah, it's, it's, when I say podunk, it's it's, it's pretty a bumpkin small. town I'm, called Philadelphia. <laughs> I don't even know where that place Phil, is. Philo Philarena. So I don't know. Philarena. Philadelphia. Um. Philadelphia, there you go. So, yeah, if you want to meet us and you happen to be on the northern-ish east coast slash mid-east coast, it's free. If you feel like going to a small con. Yeah, and it's nice. It's mainly more corporate-centered, but my talks are going to be a little bit more accessible. Yeah. I'm accessible. I'm always accessible. <laughs> I do know that at least two accessible. other people in our IRC channel will be there as well, too. So nice. if you were interested in, yeah. I um, think I know who those two people might I be. I was going to say, historically, I, I'd say SysAdminist Trivia turnout relative to the IRC channel at FOSCON has been quite high. <laughs> it has. It That's has. true. That's true. Well, I mean, two-thirds right. of the hosts are PA, yeah. so it makes sense. Eastern PA at that. Yeah. Were you ready to finish the news off here? Yes, sorry. Okay, great. <laughs> so, I don't know if you guys were aware of Ashley Madison. You know, that was the <laughs> the, uh, the website that allowed you to cheat on your significant other. We talked uh, about that. We talked about well, this, Well, wait actually. a minute. Don't, don't be so judgy. I was in that breach, and I never cheated you on were. anybody. You were? Yeah, I signed How up just to see breach? who all was on there. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> well, there anyway. you go. It's bots. It's mostly bots. If you wanted to have it's a meaningful, bots, yeah. lovely affair with a bot, it was a great site for that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, there was a there was a security breach, cybersecurity breach in 2015. So yeah. the Toronto-based Ruby Corp announced on Friday that it has re- reached a proposed settlement to end various class action suits that were launched against it in 2015 after personal information from 37 million of the site's users was stolen and released by hackers. So they're going to pay roughly 11.2 million. That's fantastic. <laughs> That's really you know going to help you out there. Yeah, once the lawyers take their share, everybody will be entitled to approximately 24 cents. Yeah. Minus yep, postage. Yep, yep. Minus postage and whatever else. Google is replacing SMS codes and two-step verification after the increase of SS7 attacks. So, I don't know who here has Google. I know I do. But you get a prompt when you try to log in somewhere with a two-step verification. It says, uh, you know, hey, um, type yes on this to open this app. Or you can get an SMS or an email or a phone call. Well, they're going to release new uh, SMS codes because it appears that it's been compromised or something. What is the deal here? Whoa. SS7. Signaling system number seven, which is called common common channel signaling system in the U.S. or common channel interoffice signaling seven in the U.K. is a system that connects one mobile phone network to another. So it's a bridge attack where the various cell networks meet up. Yeah. 
what it is. It looks like what it is. You tap, like I said, you tap a prompt that Google sends you. What this does is it allows the one-time codes to be more susceptible to phishing attempts by hacker attackers. Mm-hmm. It's uh, them hacker yeah. attackers. Them, them hackers. No hacker attackers. They don't even wear. They don't even wear proper sneakers. Yeah, man. <laughs> So look oh for goodness. new replacements in those codes. Check your two-step verification. You may need new codes for that. Actually, I was going to say, I think Google's already rolling it out because I no longer get SMS messages when I do a new sign-on. It prompts me yeah. to yeah. fire up the Google app and say okay or to Same do on a notification on Android. Mm. So I think they're already Same phasing here. it out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they still have codes, backup codes. I'm, I'm sure they're probably replacing those. No, but yeah, no, mean that would be a good time. You mean the printable so, one so... pad, one time pad? Because the one time pad will stay. That's not affected by SS7. It's the codes they send you live. Those will go away. Probably, probably. Oh, I mean, I'll, I'll I feel keep, like we'll most people this. have smartphones now, anyways. So. Yeah, right. Well, I don't know. I've run across a couple people who had a dumb phone just at self. Actually, it was a one of the drivers for the hotel had a dumb phone, just a little flip phone. I was surprised hmm. to see that. Yeah, but it, I mean, is that work issued or is that their personal phone? I think it was his personal. My father-in-law has a dumb phone by choice, and my mother-in-law is being forcibly moved off of her dumb phone onto my wife's previous handset. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Yeah, well, now would be a good time to also mention, if you don't have two-step verification set up for everything that offers it, you need to. Well, clearly you don't love your account very much. Like ASAP. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. So the next bit of news we have here, talking about Android, is the standard keyboard on the HTC 10 has begun showing ads. (laughs) Thank you, HTC, for going the way of Microsoft. You suck. (laughs) Well, they love you. They want you to have lots of ads that make you happy. (laughs) Verizon database has been exposed online with 14 million customers. Wow, that's like all of them. This small, this small company called Verizon, you may have heard of it, you know, they apparently uh, UpGuard found an unprotected database on Amazon S3. It was completely downloadable yeah. and configured to provide public access. This is fantastic. This blows my mind. Well, man. The database and its multiple terabytes of contents could thus be accessed simply by entering the S3 URL. Well, Verizon so Techs have a this. lot of work to do, and that helps them get it done really faster do. and easier. They, I don't really, really have a do. problem with it. The data included sensitive information, including name, phone numbers, and account pens. Uh, there was zero authentication on the Amazon Web Services S3 server. Well, yeah, because, I mean, that would take too much time if you had to, like, sign right, in exactly. or something. <laughs> we have an article here about physical security and being compromised by IoT vulnerabilities. That's kind of a duh statement. Like, if you have mm-hmm. physical access, we talked about this last time about the uh, the wind turbines. Yep. If yeah. you have physical access to something, I mean, your security is non-existent at that point, realistically. You know, it has been taken yeah. away from you. And also, in right. in the news for for the last episode, we talked about that PC that tries to address that, but we still. I don't. Yeah, I remember that, and I don't. I don't know that that's going to do the job that they think it's going to do. Oh, you know, one of like, my people. Yeah. yeah. Listen, behold the song of my tribe. <laughs> so I have to tell you really fast, Brent, about yeah. Rich's katana that he has. Oh yes, uh-huh. it's purple. No, no, it's black. It's it purple. has purple trim. No, 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 no. Okay, it's purple. It's the weirdest, like silliest black with purple <laughs> highlights. You know, and of course what? the license plate is the best thing. It's so. That's good. That's good. Oh my Put gosh. my license plate on the internet. That's great. We'll take it out in post. No, we'll we'll take it out. I'll, I'll beep it That's out. It, Come on yeah. now. <laughs> so, yeah. So, this article is talking about hacking the iSmart alarm and how to use this ecosystem in order to gain full ownership of a compromised device. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, realistically, like I said, if you have physical access to a device, then... It's yours. Pretty much. It's pretty much yours, you know. Mm-hmm. It's pretty nice. pretty nice little article. It's by Dojo. So, check it out. Now, the next bit of news, we're going to go into a couple of well, wait, somewhat I, political things. I need here. a really quick sidebar, because as lousy as my motorcycle might be, it's still uh, way, way better than Peyton's. Because I don't have one. That's right. <laughs> right. <laughs> there you go. At least I don't vape. All right, listen. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> You're outnumbered here, Peyton. you got to uh, choose your battles. I would rather you two vape than smoke, is all I have to say. Yeah, same here. Yeah. So... So the next bit of news is hackers have stolen credit card information from guests at 14 Trump hotels. So once hotels in Washington, D.C., New York, and Las Vegas have had their credit card information exposed, marking the third time in as many years 
and a months-long security breach has affected customers of the chain of luxury hotels. Well, that's abysmal. Really, uh, it occurred between August 2016 and March 2017, and included names, addresses, and phone numbers, as well as credit card numbers and expiration dates. Wait, did you just say it happened between August 2017 and March 2017? August 2016 and March 2017. Okay. There we go. <laughs> they had to pay last year, or it was less than a year after this happened, less than a year after Trump, International Hotels Management had to pay 50000 in penalties to New York State for failing to notify customers immediately after data breaches. So The good news I is, they're not doing you'll all get comped with nights at the White House. <laughs> I, I don't think that's going to happen. I want to stay in the White Horse. White yeah, horse. the White Horse. White Horse. Oh my God. It's from Armageddon, of course. <laughs> the uh, tr- and talking about Trump again, the Trump administration has limited the government's use of Kaspersky Lab software because they're Russians now. Because they're Russians, but uh, as far as I'm aware, the Kaspersky Lab stuff is not spying on you, so to speak. No more than any other antivirus. Well, you're right. Yeah. So the big, I actually read a lot about that topic. Me too. And that would, it would be a a good thing to break into as a side note. Well, we can do that. The smoking gun, the one that all of the people love to flail about and say, look, look proof is that there was Mm -hmm. a typo on a certificate issued at the request of an FSB unit by the Russian government. And instead of being issued in, by request of FSB unit 4573 or whatever, it mm-hmm. said issued to FSB unit 4573 slash Kaspersky Labs. <laughs> and everybody was like, oh, look, look, Kaspersky's part of the FSB. That's the only... <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, and let's let's put this also into perspective. So a lot of people are up in arms, I guess, about Kaspersky having the FSB as one of their clients. No. That's normal. That's like, you realize, like, governments can, like, contract out this shit right they don't have in-house no antivirus firms You're kidding me <laughs> yeah i mean at this point all kaspersky all kaspersky wants to do is just fucking make money right so, like they're not like they don't really care about state secrets and when i first heard about this it was in this really long article from it wasn't forbes it was i forget whom i'll see if i can find it i'll put it in the notes if i can yeah but it was another like financial centered publication and I'm like, number one, why are they making conjecture about nation-state influences on privacy? Yeah, 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 exactly. And then, like, yeah, why are they drawing conclusions from this? Maybe if you want to talk about the economics of it, sure. But, like, don't, like, don't pretend you're an InfoSec professional if you're in finance. <laughs> like, it's not really a thing. But, you know, the, the whole big to-do was that, you know, they, oh, they had the FSB as a client, and they were implementing data collection and what was it proactive proactive something or other yeah. but if you look into it all they're doing is gathering heuristics from compromises which again well, as forge said is what every one of them does right exactly like and an antivirus can't do its job if it can't do that yeah well it can it just it does it a lot more shittily <laughs> it doesn't do as it doesn't okay. do a very good job let, if it let can't me say gather. let me let me rephrase it an antivirus yes. can't do a good job sure if yes. it can't do this yeah absolutely and then all that they know for sure is that they the Kaspersky, Kaspersky reports back to the ISPs con- like with Command and Conquer I- IPs and everything. <laughs> Command and, and Conquer IPs. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, whatever. It's what they do. Like that's the proactive. They're not using your bots, your machines to like bot a DDoS retaliatorily or well, something. Of course. Of course. But I that's sort of what the article made it out to sound like. And I'm like that's they would not be having very many clients if that was the case they're you know like right. if you have a nids on your or or nips i guess on your network like you're gonna find out about that real quick so right well i i just feel like it's you know very alarmist oh no yeah oh no and in yeah. reality i mean it's doing it to protect you not to harm you you know yeah like, I, I mean, it, it, I, I really, they all do that and, and of course at the end of it spies on you Right. Yeah, and, it just and usually of course, does it for you. At the end of it, it <laughs> right. says that it, you know it has to reference the uh, the election, and of course the fact that Russia probably hacked uh, you know the election results. The DNC. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't think I they had any like... real. Well, no, I don't think they had any direct impact on the election results, but they definitely had a serious indirect impact by compromising the DNC's email and dispersing selected excerpts. Well, we actually gave them a baddie on that because they were so fucking terrible. Yeah. Well. Yeah, yeah. When you when you look into it, it's 
the security was a little bit laughable. And I've said on the show, you know, oh, like, come on, man. DNC123 <laughs> is a great password. <laughs> Only an idiot would have that password. On his luggage. Change the password on my luggage. Quick. Yeah, and, and the RNC has had compromises as well. I, in fact, like, about two weeks they ago after, yeah, after, Screaming after Eagle, the DNC one, two, three. leak. <laughs> Screaming Eagle. War Machine Freedom. Rocks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, like, it's something every place has and as far as election machines go yeah there there have been recorded attempts to penetrate but i don't think we have any proof that there's been any actual penetration well Diebold is That's so terrible that it has to have been penetrated regularly and thoroughly <laughs> yeah do you remember do you remember the whole thing about all of them using the same master key oh yeah 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 because that, that makes was... it easier to service yeah, right. Oh well, and that's well, why we put also... our customer database on S3 with no password. <laughs> they were also emailing new passwords around to people, too. <laughs> remember? Yeah. Yeah. Like, what the hell I remember are you doing, that. guys? I think that's specifically what our daddy was for. Yeah, it was. Emailing new passwords. Or, uh, when they know that the email system had been compromised. It's so stupid. Anyways, do we have any more news? Sorry, we got way off tangent Yeah, there. no, that's fine. We got a couple more articles here. Okay. Uh, give me just a minute. So... Yep. In more Russian news, the key to the old Petya versions has been published by the malware author. So this is this is a good thing, I would say. Mm-hmm. If you've been compromised by Petya, you could probably unlock your stuff. The old version of Petya, I should say. Yeah. <laughs> is that in response to not Petya? Like, does the key work? or is the? Well, no. Apparently, he's been known for leaking the keys of his rival, Chimera. Oh, no. So I think maybe he just realized that, you know, he's... The authors hmm. of TeslaCrypt also did the same thing. So... Well... Interesting. I think, yeah, no, actually, I'm sorry. Yes, it does. I think His Petya just got was... out of hand, because from what I was yeah. looking at it, it was originally targeted fairly closely at Ukraine, and then it just yeah. managed to nail everyone. Mm. Well, actually, in the article, it does say, as a result of the recent events, Janus probably, probably decided to shut down the Petra project. So... Hmm. He's released the key. It's available here on the uh, on the link we're gonna put in here. You know, we're not sure if it can help with Eternal Petcha or not Petcha, but it could help in you know. If you're possibly... a small shop and you haven't yeah. managed anything else right. and your backups are non-existent, this could right. save your day. This could save your ass. Yeah. yeah, you may have been sweating it now, but you don't have to anymore. Right. And the last bit of news is that Let's Encrypt, which is our our favorite, one of Ooh. our favorites here, is going to oh. support wildcard certificates. Starting January 2018. So that's good. That's, that's excellent. Great. Yeah. That will make them I, um, incredibly useful. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not like there was any sort of like cert limit before, well, but it got tedious. Yeah. It definitely got tedious because well, you either had to enter in all the subdomains at once when right. you were registering. Or automate the cert, it. Or, or automate it. Yeah. Or right. open a new cert for every single subdomain you add, which is, yeah, tedious. Right. So yeah, that's that's what references in here. It says large webs, larger websites or blog platforms that have many subdomains couldn't use Let's Encrypt because it didn't support wildcard certificates. So absolutely, it's going to give us the ability to wildcard out our websites, and uh, we'll be good to go. So kudos to you, Let's Encrypt. Mm-hmm. I wonder if they're going to sand in the the www and the naked domain. I don't know. I'd be interested to see how they do it. Because then you could just use one cert for everything. Yeah, and that'd be nice. Mm. Oh, that'd be fantastic. Oh yeah. man. Oh man! Yeah, yeah. We'll see. I would imagine gonna... with Wildcard, you could set the root of that wherever you wanted. So yeah, yeah. if you put it on the n- naked domain, you're you're done. Yeah, mm-hmm. makes yeah. it real easy to renew it and automate that too. Well, no, with Wildcards, you would need if unless you get the naked domain sand in, mm-hmm. you would have to get a separate cert. The Wildcard doesn't apply to the naked domain, which is a mm-hmm. pain in the ass. But I don't know. I guess if you redirected www dot for everything, well. <laughs> But you, you would still need an SSL cert for, for the redirect. I don't know. Yeah. We'll we'll see how they do it. They got plenty of time. I don't see why they wouldn't, but, you know. I've got to renew. I've got three or four days here. Speaking of Let's Encrypt, there's a really nice, and I, I just a minor plug here for this, but keychess.net allows you to monitor your Let's Encrypt certificates and tell you if they're active and need to be renewed or not. Huh. I found that on our home lab. Pretty nice. Is that something Let's Encrypt blessed? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Okay, cool. I believe yeah, we'll... so. There's a uh, GitHub for it. So. Okay. Yeah, link that to me and we'll put it in. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Is that it? Is that for the news? That's it for the news. <laughs> okay, cool. So we were going to talk primarily about virtualization platforms. And it's a shame that Jason couldn't join us for this because he is in the process of building out his home lab. Yes, he is. And yeah, he... Oh, Serpot. Yeah. Yeah, Serpot. Yeah, Forge, Forge just... 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Surfbot's yeah. produced by Let's Encrypt. Yep. Yeah, for He was linking the Crontab entry for that. Every 12. Yeah. Yep. So it's a, it's a shame Jason couldn't join us for this next discussion because he is in the process of building out his own lab, which is where virtualization is super useful because then you don't super. have to buy a ton of hardware. But, you know, I know we'll be listening, so he'll be able to, to catch up. So we have a bunch of different technologies. The one I had on my thumb on were Zen, which I would argue is on its way out at this point. Zen? Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about these in detail in a bit. But Zen, KVM, Kimu. Do you guys say Kimu or QMU? Q-M-U. I think I say... Q-M-U. I say Kimu. QMU. QEMU. I'm weird, though. Huh. I don't say a lot of things right. <laughs> yeah. my, my wife makes fun of me all the time because I say things wrong. And she's like, well, it's okay because you probably read it somewhere instead of hearing it. So. Well, yeah, how do yeah. they say it in Tejas? Q-A-M-U. Tejas. <laughs> yeah, fucker. Uh, all right, and VirtualBox, OpenVZ, OpenVZ slash VirtuoZo. No, it's VirtualBox. same thing. Oh, my God. What? Never mind. No, get, get the fuck continue, out of here. Continue on your way. OpenVZ slash VirtuoZo, and then Parallels, which is same company, but they make a product called Par- Parallels or something like that. Hyper-V, and then there's like, what, like 15 different VMware lines now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or did it's, they simplify that? They're starting to, but it's still nuts. Okay. There was a point where it was like, seriously, like five, and I'm like, that's that's a bit much, but whatever. Okay. Right. So first, what, let's get a head count. Of the three of us, what... Which ones have we used? I've used, and, and by used, I mean actually deployed yourself. In that case, for me, it'd be KVM, Kimu. They're basically the same thing. It's just a, the difference is a kernel module. VirtualBox, and I've adminned some OpenVZ and Virtuoso nodes before. I recall. I don't think I've ever used Hyper-V, and I've used VMware Workstation like once or twice that I'm not proud of. But what about you guys? What have you used? I have used, I actually, on my workstation here, I have a QEMU that I would run. I think I've actually deleted it at this point. But I've run that. I've run, well, that goes, ties into KVM as well. Yep. And then I've also used VirtualBox. Okay, so I, yeah, KVM. Yeah, I've used Parallels on a Mac I had way back in uh, 09 or mm-hmm. 10 or whatever. I've used Hyper-V and I've used VMware, both ESXi and the VMware Workstation vmware player i actually have vmware workstation on my company issue laptop that i have windows install on so i've used most of those minus the open vz and zen mm-hmm. yeah oh yeah sorry i have i have admin some zen boxes too mm, that's cool yeah, we had those at the same at the same place where i, I did the vz stuff oh but cool okay. forge what about you i've only played a little with zen but i've used qmu and kvm extensively I've used mm-hmm. VirtualBox quite often. I've never done OpenVZ Virtuoso. I've run Parallels. I've run Hyper-V. Hyper-V is not terrible for a Microsoft product. If you're playing with really, MS it's stuff, not. really, it's not. If you're playing yeah, with MS stuff, that. it makes a lot of sense. If you're one of those poor admins who's stuck at a Windows company, <laughs> you basically <laughs> get Hyper-V for free on all your Windows server machines. So you might <laughs> as well use it. You already have it. Mm-hmm. And me and VMware go way back. I beta tested some of their stuff when they were still a no-name company. Before we go into more detail, have either of you used Beehive? I'm the, currently the BSD? using it. And I think really? I have not used Beehive. You haven't? But you turned on the new GUI. It's there. Oh, never mind. I have used Beehive. Ah. Absolutely. Now, free NAS, right? Yep. yep. Yeah. So those those not familiar, Beehive is the, the sort of BSD answer to Libvirt, KVM, Kimu, that kind of stuff. It has a lot in common. It's yeah, pretty slick. That's what I hear. I like it. I mean, I prefer the new GUI for FreeNAS over the old one, mm-hmm. just because well, it's yeah. shiny. It needs some work, but yeah, I like it. I like it a lot. I wish that ESXi hadn't gotten rid of the, or hadn't completely just... You know, made the uh, fat client? the actual yeah the fat client like worthless. <laughs> well, that's I can defend that because that's a long term yeah. initiative for them, and they knew the only way they were ever going to wean anybody off the fat client was by marking it as deprecated and then just dropping it hard as soon as they could. And they right. passed that point. A lot of the admins gripe about it. I still want my fat client. I still want my fat client. But the the number yeah. of things that the fat client could do that the HTML5 client can't do is getting real short. Well, the mm. only thing I've noticed so far that you can't do in the HTML client is monitoring over an hour. Yeah. Hmm. But realistically, who sits there and logs into their ESXi and monitors over an hour? Yeah, by hand. Know? By hand. Yeah. yeah. By hand. <laughs> yeah. If you're, if you're doing so, stuff so like that, that for there's APIs. 
You should be right, doing that. Right, right, right. You've got Grafana, you've got Nginx, or not Nginx, uh, Nagios, you know. Yeah, there's a there's million ways to skin that Splunk. cat. Splunk, I mean, you know, there's a million different ways to find out historically what's going on in your system, so. Mm-hmm. That I doesn't can... depend on the client workstation being up, too. Right, right, right. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, I don't know, as far as, like, forcibly deprecating i think i'm in support of it because like you need something to go to the uppers and management with saying like if we don't do this we're fucked you know yeah because sometimes that's what it takes to update right right so i don't know while i commiserate with systems out there who are under this sort of situation you should celebrate it rather than gripe about it i think yeah but yeah i don't know anyways well you know i i it's not the end of the world you know, realistically, mm-hmm. you have you open a web browser instead of having a dedicated installed client somewhere. And mm-hmm. I mean, with the cruft that we're getting nowadays with applications, I'd rather go to a web page, honestly. Like, mm-hmm. I really feel like web pages are a place to be now, you know? Yeah, well, well, I, well I hesitate. Yeah, I hesitate giving too much power to the browser, but. Sure. Sure. Yeah, I, we're definitely at a point now, with, especially with HTML5, where there's no excuse not to make a more robust client that's that's more platform friendly. Yeah, right. Some based around you know some a context spec. on that too. Yeah. VMware ESX, as we know it, and the corresponding fat client launched in 2006. <laughs> there you go. 11 years old. Yeah, they've updated <laughs> it quite a lot along the way, but they never made sure. any major changes to it. No, no deep architectural rewrite type stuff. So mm-hmm. it's due. So what's the new hot stuff from VMware? ESXi 6.5 in the HTML5 control. That's what everybody okay. likes right now. They're they're very much Got in it. a slow, quiet stage where they've rolled out a few shiny new bits, but really they've got all the checkboxes mm-hmm. hit, and they aren't even hinting at upcoming stuff much. The biggest thing... Okay, so recent, there no, there's no real... Yeah, the biggest recent thing was vSAN, so that instead of you know building a SAN and having a sandbox, you could just put a couple disks in each one of your... VMware blades and aggregating them at a higher level. Okay. So, you know, cool. nothing radical, but it was cool stuff. Yeah, not bad. Let's see. What are we talking about? Yeah, I mean, I, I wanted to touch back on this. I'd say Zen's dead at this point. Zen's Pretty dead, much. baby. Yeah, I don't, anyway. I don't. Serious y- Yeah, yeah. I've noticed that, like, on a lot of VPS providers, it's almost impossible to find one that's still offering Zen. Yep. Yeah. You got to be grandfathered on that at this point. Yep. Yeah. I was going to say, I remember when I first signed up with Linode like four, three, four years ago now, mm-hmm. there was an option to run as Zen, and it was like you had yeah. to click through nine things before provisioning your first <laughs> Linode to do it. Yeah. And immediately afterwards, there was a big thing about, please, 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 please let us migrate it to KVM. Everything is better there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And, like, oh, and they're not wrong. Yeah. They're not wrong. I love KVM. It's definitely got uh, improved performance. I think Jathan and I, we, Jathan and I were actually sort of meta arguing about this today earlier. We were arguing about whether or not we argued about Zen versus KVM on air or in IRC. <laughs> yeah, probably. And he says we did it in season zero. So if you know, I, I searched and I couldn't find, I couldn't find it in the notes. But if you happen to have listened through season zero recently and you heard us arguing about it, <laughs> let us know which episode <laughs> so I can update the notes for this. Because I'm almost positive that was an IRC, but I digress. Yeah, he, he he took the stance that, you know, Zen was still applicable. And I'm like, no, that's, nope. I, I don't feel that way. Yeah, I mean, it's out of, you know, it, it's not officially blessed by the kernel maintainers. And it's not, it still requires a custom kernel build. And if you're you doing a new do a Zen of... rollout at this day and time, you already yeah. planned on that. And your beard is long, gray, and luxurious. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. It's, I would dare say it's obsolete at this point. Yeah. It's not really... You get real no benefits from it. I don't know. I, other than maybe not knowing KVM, but I mean, I find just KVM infinitely easier to manage. Yeah, I, I mean, you set all the you set all the commands right there as you're as you're typing it out. I mean, that's I really I had no problems running it, and it was considerably less of a tax on the host system too, as well, mm-hmm. because you're not running a, a GUI application that's also using up, you know. 500 megabytes But if you want so. to. But if you want to. Yeah, I was going to say, with, right. with Libvirt and Vert yeah. Manager, right. I would say that KVM is not at parity with ESX. Not by yeah. a long shot. It's ahead in some places, behind in others. Mm-hmm. But it's close enough. It, it really is really close. And there's third-party interfaces that hook into the KVM API, or the Libvirt API, I should yep. say, as well. 
So yeah, I mean, you're you're gonna strangely enough find a lot more libvert based providers than VMware at this point. Yep. For VPS. That's because VMware which is, costs I mean, money. Yeah. Well, that yeah. But like, there was a point where there wasn't really any sort of option for upstream providers to uh, to sort of implement that. But we're there now, so you have definitely some options. There's even like WHMCS plugins for it. And yeah, it's definitely matured a lot in the I don't know is. Seven, eight years I've used it now. It's gone a long way. So I haven't used Beehive, but I did want to talk more about that because I know our BSD fans are going to yell at me if I don't. Yeah. <laughs> but, four of them? Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I and think it might actually be four. <laughs> <laughs> I think it might actually be four. So what sort of... Like, I looked at the actual benchmarking, and I saw that the... You know, Beehive excels in some areas of benchmarking, whereas KVM excels in others. So I would call them tied in that aspect. But what sort of... I guess, pros and cons does Beehive have over the others? What what makes it stand out besides just being BSD-based? That, as lame and give away an answer as it sounds, I think that is the biggest thing. Mm. What OS do you want on your metal? And that really mm-hmm. forks the, the camps between Beehive, KVM, and something like VMware. Yeah. It's what you yeah. want on the metal. Do you even want anything on the metal? Because VMware is pretty close to nil. Yeah. So Yeah, B- yeah VMware does have that sort where's, of uh, where's your focus? bare metal hypervisor. Yeah, that's a good point. That is a good point. There was one other I wanted to mention. What's the thing AIX has? Oh, oh my. Uh, uh, LPARS. Uh, yes, LPARS. Yeah, 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 LPARS. Yep. How does that compare? Is that full vert or is that... That's funny because it's... Okay, so I've only been playing with AIX and, and hearing about LPARS and looking into LPARS for, what, like a month and change now? Mm-hmm. But from what I can see and the little bit of digging I've done, it's sort of hybrid in that it's not really full vert but it's one of those things where they have control over the software and the hardware. So they okay. can do they can do a lot of things that I was actually really impressed with. Okay. Things like uh, yeah. dynamic provisioning up and down they can do on the fly. Yeah, it's okay. it is pretty slick. I mean I mean realistically, the those L bars are, are pretty nice. However, AIX is what, like twenty years older than Unix? <laughs> no, it's Hey man, that doesn't count. I know, right? Old farts need love too. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's one of those. So, I mean, it's... it's The, the giveaway answer goes full force, because if you're playing with AIX at mm-hmm. all, LPARS and the HMC are the only option, and they're a good option, but it depends on what you want on the metal. If mm-hmm. you're playing with AIX, you know it, and it only really virtualizes itself, but it has lots of pros and lots of cons, and you'll already know them. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, that would be a good point. Like, if people are listening, like, oh, I should set at, set that up for a home lab, don't fucking set up an AIX home lab. <laughs> No, the no, licensing you, really, you alone. should. It, it's usually going to spend many, many thousands of dollars to get started. <laughs> it's astronomical to get started. Yeah, uh, you're, which is why I always wonder, like, how how do AIX gurus happen? Because they're not doing home projects. Well, I'm working on it. I think Peyton's working on it a bit. A yeah, little bit, a little bit. You little go bit. to work, and they have things. AIX, and you yeah. play with it, and you go, oh, look, this is keen. Realistically. Your next job, you say, oh, yeah, I know AIX, yeah. no problem. yeah. You get high- so it's it's just accumulated over your work experience. I, I think there's big. actually. I, I mean, IBM will train you. You know, they got to train somebody. So how many thousands of dollars is that? Many, many, many thousands. <laughs> okay. many, many. Got but it. when you go got to it. that training, I mean, it's not like you know CCIE training, or it's not like you know VMware training, or Linux Essentials training, or Linux Plus training. They actually like train you. Like you become a, an AIX actual like guy pretty quickly with that training we'd actually have to bring probably andy on to actually talk Mm -hmm. about it some but i mean he could you know really tell us some good stuff about it he's actually been featured in ibm magazine about aix things so Mm -hmm. but you know he's been to that kind of training and stuff so he he would be better suited to tell us you know what it is and he wouldn't know know, yeah and he wouldn't you know be like oh ix is the best i mean he would probably he will he will if you let (laughs) him he will if you let him but controlling more than anything else you know (laughs) (laughs) right yeah i have noticed that about aix guys yeah yeah. well they're the grayer beards the gray beards you know well then too it's that it's that pros and cons thing when you're living inside that sandbox you only see the pros and you blow off the cons you're like oh i didn't want to do that anyway Right. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's right. I, I didn't need a GUI for my workstation, you know? <laughs> yeah, GUIs are for new meat. <laughs> Get your GUI out of here. Uh, oh, man. Goodness. 
<laughs> what what, what are we talking about? Well, I, I think one of the questions that Jayton had was, why would you virtualize? And right, why not? We yeah. actually just had a meeting about this. We actually mm-hmm. recovered 300 gigabytes of RAM. Mm-hmm. How much? 140 how, some odd CPUs. 140 CPU. Roughly cycles or megahertz or gigahertz, whatever. A hundred thousand dollars worth of hardware. A hundred thousand. Yeah, right. So we were able to save by going through and, and changing all these VMs to lower just specs. Adjusting. Just adjusting. A hundred thousand dollars in future upgrade costs. And that's not even counting the the immediate savings and power consumption and things it, like it, that. That too, exactly. That's yeah. just a cost of living change. Right. That's right, right. just yeah. adjusting and tuning the already running stuff. You have all of your infrastructure virtualized, and you can just adjust and tune all day long and free yep. up all sorts of hardware. Yep, absolutely. Mm-hmm. We are working, where Forge and I work, we are working on trying to virtualize as much as possible. We do have a few still physical servers, and we do have I some, hate them. I, I hate them, too. And we have some blades that we're also getting rid of as well, too, I think. I think mm-hmm. that's the consensus is that we're getting rid of the blades. Because we actually had a blade... Actually, right after you started, didn't we have a blade that went down? And they yep. prior to you starting, we had a blade that dropped all three of its. What the hell were they replacing? They had to bring in three replacements, and all three were bad. And we were like, oh "This is gosh. this is not possible. There's no way that three are bad." And then they replaced quick one buy more. lottery tickets. Yeah, right. And then they replaced one more, and it was fine. But it was just like, holy crap! Like, is this really that bad? You know? So wow, it wasn't like a, a power line issue nope. or anything. Nope. It was nope. the actual. Nope. Jeez. Bad parts. Bad parts. That's astounding. It is. It really is. Buy a lottery ticket. Yeah. 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 Yeah, no kidding. But, you know, it was a DS8K, and it's supposed to not fail like this. (laughs) Right. Really. No, seriously. Like, IBM has marketed the DS8K as this amazing storage device. It's got, like, four redundancies. My boss actually worked on them. He could tell you all about them. Mm -hmm. And he said that this was ridiculous and it should have been like a software issue. It ended up just being hardware that just kept failing every time. Did you throw flack towards the vendor? Because you really should have at that point. We did a little bit, I think. Quiet uh, backroom grumbling. It was, yeah, it was quiet (laughs) backroom, you know. Hey, it was at Hellfire and, and Wrath of Oh, no, the dirty the laundry divine. is never in public. Okay. Well, when you see how many IBM machines we have, or servers we have in this place, you would understand. <laughs> okay. The quiet yeah, rumbling yeah, I, is I remember. sufficient. <laughs> quiet, Got it. quiet rumbling is enough for them to go, uh, okay. We're really sorry. We'll Let's go to lunch and talk about it. Right, exactly. Nine or ten right. times this week. Right, exactly. Yeah. Wait, lunch nine or ten times in a week? Yeah. Not, not, to, not, not for <laughs> we'll us. We'll go to lunch again. Not for us. <laughs> no. The people who right, right, right. But, buy it. No. But regardless, like I was referring more to more so to there only being five business days in a week. But sure, sure. But sure. you can go to lunch twice in a day. You can. Absolutely. If somebody Hobbit, else is if you're fine, a Hobbit, maybe. Hobbits do it. Why not? <laughs> well, you go out once to, to entertainment and then you go out once to eat and then you go out once to sit around and talk. Yeah. It's three lunches in a day, man. So back to back to why you should virtualize. I mean, mm. even mm-hmm. if you have just a single machine that has a paltry sum of RAM, you can most likely run at least two or three or even four services on that. And yeah, depending and, on the hypervisor. Right, and save yourself the the benefit of having to go out and spec out a new server. And, you know, do we need four machines that are using up power and internet? And, you know, do we have mm-hmm. the switch Shooting capability? resources. Right, resources. The, yeah. the, the maintenance, alone the maintenance, you know. We have to make sure we have a spinning disk for that, you know. Mm-hmm. So virtualizing, I really feel like, is more beneficial in the long run because you can, you know, you save all these things, power, time. Well, mm-hmm. I would you say know. even from a more targeted perspective of the home lab, I remember mm-hmm. prior to VMware, prior to any virtualization initiatives, having a home lab meant that you had a couple big meaty shelves or desks somewhere yep. and you had, you know, a dozen or two dozen desktops all hooked up to these baroque, broken, terrible KVM switches yeah. So that you could flip the keyboard and mouse over to the machine that stopped pinging. Yeah. And it there used to be so much And it so was in your garage yeah. because it was so much heat. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. that was just yeah. the way things were done. Mm-hmm. And now, I mean, I have a home lab. It's to you, and it sits on a table in the laundry room. <laughs> and right now, it's my router's running on it. I have... I've got... Three servers running on it. I have five total U of servers for virtualization. One's a free NAS, it's for you. And then mm-hmm. I have a, mm-hmm. an R610, which is a one U. And that's, you know, it does it. It does it all. It everything, everything I need, you know? Yep. Yeah, so, like, aside from those long-term goal benefits, I guess, you, you also have the short-term benefits of 
You don't need to re-image a machine. Oh, and, yeah. You know, sit there and like by hand set up a new OS install just to you know, yep. like I mean, you combine that with like so I use I use a lot of like Versh, yeah, which is the yep. the, the Libvirt yeah. shell basically. Uh, you can use that to automatically provision and even kickstart an install. So if you have that going, and then you happen to have an ISO with like a, with like an iPixie setup, or you can a, what, you can even do Pixie inside the machine. Yeah, yeah, new exactly. VMs that spin up on my VMware host without media attached. They netboot mm-hmm. off of another VM and provision exactly. themselves on the fly. Yeah. Next step yeah. is Puppet. I want to get Puppet in there, and I want to have them actually configure automatically on the fly, too. And yeah, and you, that'd be really easy to do. You could just roll that right into your Kickstart config yep. or your Debian Preseed or whatever. Super. Or AIF. <laughs> Self-plug. Hey, hey, yeah. AIFNG will let you do that, too. Are, when are they... So, yeah, I mean... When you, are they... What, in, I'm sorry? When are they integrating that into Arch? It's... It's more so up to me. Like, I haven't officially submitted it for inclusion okay. yet. I still want to get more testing on it. So if you're listening and you're an Arch user, check it out. Go back to our episode where I talk about it, because I'd, I'd love to get that on the actual install ISO. There's still some cleanup I might want to do. Uh, I got a little bit of flack because I have it, and, like, my, my functions are, like, hundreds of lines <laughs> long. So <laughs> so they wanted a little bit more... One guy, one specific guy wanted it a little bit more modular. Uh, so I'm going to see if I can do that for him. But I have a bug open for it and everything, so I'm working on it. Hmm. First, I've heard of it. I'm interested. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll link it to you. Well, uh, speaking to speaking to being able to boot a, a, a VM, I was playing around with configuring uh, like a baseline VM, and I was mm-hmm. every time I would have an issue, I would just delete and start over. You know, versus yep. having to snapshot rollback. Right, snapshot rollback. Yeah. yeah, you know exactly. Versus can't do that. With versus hardware. having to pull the plug on the back of the machine and let it reboot, and then you're like, "Fuck, I messed that up again." Pull the plug, reboot, you know, mm-hmm. it's uh, virtualizing is so much more beneficial because Here you go. also it too, so much time. also too, I had a machine that was way over spec. It had like 16 gigs of RAM and I had Plex mm-hmm. running on it and it was literally using like less than a gig. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not wow. using that machine to its potential, right? Your Plex is doing it wrong. <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay. All right. My Plex instance has 64 gigs of RAM and 1.2 gigs of it is free. <laughs> well, your oh Plex gosh. server is also much larger than mine is. Mm, true. That's, that's doing a lot more. That's what she said? That is what she said. <laughs> sure. She was watching movies on my Plex. Right. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so there's that benefit. There is, you also have like a much more... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Don't know. It, like a much more mixed environment available yeah. to you. Like I have, uh, I'm not even going to bother checking, but I have something around like 30 different VMs, wow. not running all at the same time because I don't need them and I, I'd rather not waste the extra cycles. Mm-hmm. But right. yeah, I mean, it's minimal to spin one up, you know, so why not? But I have something like 30 and they're, I only have like maybe of those like six that are different, that are like duplicates of, of other VMs in terms of distro or mm-hmm. whatever. Well, I would say I keep a, a cold clone of my Linode on my mm-hmm. ESX machine because it costs me 20 some odd gigs of disk and nothing because yeah. it's not running. Right. Or even less if you're using dynamically allocated disk sizes. Yep. It's only using whatever you're using. Yeah. So, I mean, there's so many both immediate and long-term benefits to it. The only thing is the more useful virtualization platforms out there do require a little bit of tech buy-in um, and, and not in terms of fiscal, but in terms of time, like you do yeah. have to learn how to configure libvirt. Yeah. There is turnkey stuff out there, but then at that point you're going to have to use like your own box. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> but no, like there's some distro ISOs out there. They can just install on a dedicated machine and they'll set up libvirt for you and all that bullshit. But I don't like doing that because I like. I don't know. I, I just like setting it up by hand so I have control of how it's managed and I don't have to have it. Yeah. I don't have to wipe away an entire machine I already have built just to add, you know, virtualization functionality to it. But yeah, so there are a lot of a lot of benefits, I would say. I, I can't think of any con to it unless, you know, unless you have to unless you're keep adjusting your resource. Yeah, yeah, the the learning curve. And, you know, if you find out you have to, you know, you're running lean on resources inside the VM, you have to shut it down and change the config. But that's all of, what, two seconds well, instead of another $200? No, I, I can give you a, a more concrete downside to virtualization, too. Because yeah, last that? night, my virtualization host overheated <laughs> through a machine check exception and turned off. Yeah. Oh, gosh. And there okay. goes my router. There goes, there goes everything. Server, right. There goes That's a everything. good point. And that's I was like, is the point. internet out? 
I can't get an IP address on the on the wireless. What the heck? Nope. Yep. Just your, Everything's gone. Just your hypervisor. Can't ping anything. So that's, you know, for sure. I mean, That is something to keep in mind. You yeah. are putting all your eggs in one basket, so to speak. Get better baskets. But, I, I mean, but at, at work we have, I actually have been able to sit there and watch the, the two, uh, well, we have multiple, but I've been able to sit there yeah. and watch vMotion go when a host was being overutilized. And it was, it's, I mean, it's, it's the coolest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. You know, I'm sitting there watching a host and all of a sudden it goes and it, you see V motion, V motion, V motion. And it's like done. And you're like, wait a minute. And it's on a whole, it's on a wholly new host. It's got, you know, great. You know, so I think if you're going to virtualize, the best way to do it is of course have, you know, try to have two of everything and then just, you know, go from there. But that's, I would say yeah, I, hit someplace like that. serve the home. Go to their yeah. buy-sell trade forum and look for somebody that's selling a matched pair of something, yep. Dell, HP, Supermicro, whatever. Yep. Just get a pair of whatever it is. Because then you get into vMotion, then you can play with vSAN. Mm. Even if you're doing via KVM, it gives you so many more options for, you know, suspend this, copy it across the wire, bring it back up over there. Mm-hmm. I, I could have avoided my outage if I'd had two hosts and had them set up properly. Yeah. Well, and while I, it is a single or dual, I guess, you know, depending on how you have your have it set up, point of failure, you also, it's almost sort of a blessing in disguise because then you only have one or two hosts you really need to build out, build out robustly. Right. And then as a result, all of your guests benefit from that. So it, it both simplifies things, but also complicates them a, a bit. Well, the nice thing but is, it, it, I'm, I'm yeah. you know, working on my project and I'm on a, a VM that has 16 gigs of RAM and I say, oh, I'm just out of RAM. I'm out of RAM. This is terrible. And I just mm-hmm. suspend, provision, bring it back, tell the ho- tell the, the guest to look, oh, look, there's more RAM. Activate all this RAM. Okay, no problem. Yeah. It never even mm-hmm. took it down. Yep. And the, yeah, and you can sort of do that with, I mean, I have the most experience with Libvirt slash KVM, so yep. I Done it there too. For those not familiar, Libvert is basically a wrapper. I have this as one of our talking points, but I'll just mention it now for those who might be confused. Libvert is just basically a wrapper around KVM slash Kimu. And Vert Manager, which you've heard myself and Forge probably mention at least once, is the GUI interface to Libvert. And then Versh is the command line interface to Libvert. Yeah. And the great thing um, is you can switch back and forth between them at will. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you can have uh, multiple clients connected to the same hypervisor. You know, uh, stuff that you would expect to have an actual working virtual environment. Where was I going with that? Not Something sure. Something about Libvert. Not sure. <laughs> what was I talking about right before that? Uh, two of every host, redundancy, migration, dynamic provisioning. I think it was like right after dynamic provisioning. There wasn't much there. We segued pretty straight. <laughs> Well, what did you say about VMware? You said something about VMware. We said vMotion's awesome. You can just watch it migrate from host to host. Mm-hmm. And even though you have more eggs in one basket, it lets you concentrate your buying dollars so you can make a better Right. Basket. No, I got it. I got it. I got right, it. We're go, back on track. Go. We're back on track. <laughs> so Libvert also lets you, well, KVM really, it lets you set like a hard limit for memory and a soft limit. Yep. So, right. and a lot of, a lot of, you know, Virtualization platforms with their salt will do let you do this, but I'm speaking specifically to Libvirt. Right. So you can set like a top limit. Let's say your machine maxes out, you know, not counting for like the actual host OS. Let's let's say it maxes out at like 10 gigs of RAM. Small, you know, small amount of memory these days, I guess, in terms of servers, but whatever. So 10 gigs of RAM. And that's, you know, with the host OS RAM figured in. But you can tell all of your VMs to have a max cap of 10 gigs of RAM. And then set the soft cap at like two gigs each. If you set, if you do it that way, you can dynamically increase the RAM for a machine that might need it. So in other words, you can sort of tell it like while it's running without needing to restart the the VM, you can kick it up to like four gigs. Um, say, hey, use more of this allocation. That's pretty slick. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of a lot of provisioners do that. VMware has had that. I think they were probably the first to do that. Yeah, they did the balloon driver back in '08. Yes. Yeah, the balloon driver is exactly what it's called. That's basically what it is. You're ballooning the memory to uh, from a soft limit to a different soft limit, that, but it's hard capped at a hard limit. Well, on VMware, the balloon driver actually soaks up RAM inside the guest and releases it to the mm-hmm. host. That way, the guest sees it as used. So, like, if back to the scenario of I have a 16 gig VM and I'm only mm-hmm. using four gigs and I really need to steal RAM from it for this other project that I'm running for a couple days. I can tell the guest, or I, I rather, I can tell the tools running on the guest balloon to such and such a value, and it'll show it all as allocated inside the guest. And the guest mm-hmm. says, oh, yeah, no, there's an app. It's using all that RAM. And mm-hmm. now the host can steal it away behind it 
and, and free it up. And reallocate. Okay. Yeah, that's I think the, what are, what are they called? The guest tools or whatever for uh, KVM will let you do that too. Yep. But the, that's the thing. So like a lot of these well, hypervisors. You can hot add on most v- mm-hmm. most virtu- uh, hypervisors, but you can't yeah, hot Yeah, but they will reallocate out of there. any right. of them. So you need yeah. something like the balloon driver to soft deallocate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's another thing to keep in mind is that you do have a lot of features with many of these hypervisors, but you get even more features that can do some pretty crazy stuff if you install the agent or the guest utilities or whatever the particular platform calls them. Even VirtualBox has pretty decent, in terms of like developer workstation type virtualization, even even VirtualBox has some pretty impressive stuff in their guest driver. Yeah, yeah they do. If you plan on doing any sort of GPU work, you'll definitely want that guest driver installed. Mm-hmm. All sorts of, of different features that you can go beyond the default. I like KVM in this instance because most of my guests are Linux and my host is Linux. So it's already in the kernel for most of the distros. So, you know, I mean, KVM has been mainlined since 2.6 point, I want to say 30-ish, something like that. I think so. It's been in there for a while. Yeah. So, you know, at that point, it's just it's a given. mod probing it. and yeah. I got a spot on. 2630? I think so. Okay. That's when a lot of that stuff was happening, was in the, the yeah. high number 26 yeah. series. Yeah, it, there was a lot going on at that. Right before they kicked over to 3.0. Yep. Because everybody yep. had to have everything in before 3.0. Yeah. <laughs> right. right, exactly, exactly. I would probably not use a 2.6, a late 2.6 kernel, though, these days. Please God, but... no. <laughs> what are you, a Red Hat sanity. user? Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. Yeah, and, and now we're on the 4.0 series. 4.3? 4, 4.6? 4, I think so. Four eleven. Four eleven. Four. Uh, I'm running four ten nine. I think. Yeah, I'm on four t- four eleven on my 4-11. desktop. So it's probably mm-hmm. it's probably four thirteen vanilla upstream is my guess. But let's see kernel.org. <laughs> there you go. For well, Forge checks that for us. <laughs> four thirteen RC one bonus points. Yeah. Four twelve two is stable. Mm. Okay, I was I was close. I was really close. It's the uh. It's the RC, so... Well, by the time it airs, you'll be right. I think... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, give it like a day or two, and I think I'll be spot on. By the time we release, it'll be 4.13. Yeah, I think I got everything that I wanted to mention out of the way. Does anyone else have anything they wanted to bring up about this? I would say don't be afraid of virtualizing. I mean, it's, you know, even if you just have... Even if you just want to try it out on your desktop. I mean, even in Windows, Hyper-V is Mm -hmm. easy to install. You know, just... VMware. You Mm -hmm. know, VMware, et cetera. I, I mean... The things that you can do, you you can create your own switch inside there too. Even in even in a KVM or mm-hmm. a QVMU, you know. So I, I mean, I would say don't be afraid of it. Give it a try. I mean, you might find something you really like doing. Even on your laptop. Even on your bring your home lab with you. Even on your laptop, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I I mean I run like I said I run exactly. a I run VMware Workstation on my laptop and I have got a Windows Seven there. Normally I run Ubuntu, so I have the ability to boot to boot into a Windows Seven machine without needing to reboot. I think that's that's really beneficial. The really fun rabbit hole is when you're dual booting on a machine and then you use the other boot in your virtualization tool of choice. Yes, yes, yes. I know. Mm. You're so good at that. Yeah, you can use it as a, you can use the actual partition as a, as the sort of virtualized disk image, so he's actually done. He's actually done. What, that. what, what the most call them, that direct disk? Yeah, it varies. Everybody has their own different term for it, but yeah, he's actually okay. he's actually demonstrating. Yeah, that in person, I mean it's so. it's yes, multiple ways. Multiple ways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely if you're a, a dual booter or a tri booter or whatever, uh, that's definitely pretty handy. If you have and a there Mac are and you haven't played with <laughs> virtualization, you really should you're doing it wrong because all yeah. of the virtualization tools for Mac have native support for like two clicks and you boot your boot camp native install in a VM. And that's, that's terribly nice. useful. Yeah, I'd imagine. Sure thing. The I did think of something else I wanted to mention. Shock. Mm. <laughs> Give me a sec. Oh, Vagrant. So Ooh, yeah. we use Vagrant at work. And by default, it just uses like a sort of its own weird CH root kind of driver. But that that doesn't do it for me because I you get so much more flexibility with an actual VM. Yep. Which I you know, I definitely would recommend doing it that way. But with our developers, we have them on all different platforms. We've got some Mac, some Windows, some Linux. You know, so we I needed something cross-platform. VirtualBox is the only one that's free, so all the developers have that installed. Yep. That's not a big deal. The nice thing about Vagrant, though, is I can have them, okay, run this, and it'll automatically set up a VirtualBox VM for the specified production environment, or development environment, I guess, at that point. And then they, they can have their own VM 
automatically that matches the production so they know what libraries they're getting like what web server configuration they're getting all that and it's that's saved my ass at this point i think countless times it took a a fair bit of of investment but at a previous employer we used vagrant virtualbox and capistrano to do a a more deluxe version of the same thing yeah how did you how did you like capistrano because i I looked into using it but i didn't i I ran an existing one But it really mm-hmm. seemed to complement Vagrant, that Vagrant is outside the VM, and it handles all the, you know, attach this image and provision it with this and set it up with these hardware specs. And then it would hand over to Capistrano internally, which would then handle the internal environment and make sure all the libraries are linked together correctly and the right versions. Okay. It was Yeah, and we weren't, yeah. we weren't really, we weren't, I didn't have so much of a concern of version locking. So it's basically just sort of Ansible that ties more directly into vagrant as i saw it yeah okay cool yeah i mean i can I definitely see the benefit of that if you have much more strict development environments well, for sure depends on how closely you need to match production yeah versus and, and we talk a lot about or whatever for sure yeah we talk a lot about that as well in uh in a previous episode which i'll link to we have a whole discussion about that but great i think we're ready to wrap this up are you guys ready for the baddie i have to get to work okay. earlier than peyton does so yeah <laughs> an hour a okay whole hour <laughs> And we're not talking seven hours an hour, man. It's nine. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I gotta, I gotta choke the bike and get it warmed up. You just get in and turn the key. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Forge. You wanna, you wanna talk about our baddie? Oh yes, the baddie is very bad. Speaking of Ashley Madison and leaks and whatnot, there is a Mm -hmm. big leak. B two B USA businesses has a hundred and five million contacts in it, and you should go to haveibeenpwned.com. And plug in your email and find out that you are one of these lucky 105 million winners. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't win sure. anything, but yeah. you do win. <laughs> well, you win you something. You win momentary panic, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> you win more email. <laughs> That's true. So the only way I found out about this was I got an email from Have I Been Pwned. You can put in your email and say like yes alert me if you find me on any new breaches and they will so i put my email in <laughs> they do and yeah right and it turns out you know i, I got to notice that there was a breach and my information had been released uh, in this dump not pwned quite the only thing that was leaked was stuff people probably who were targeted after me already have uh, email address physical address yeah yeah email address physical address uh, things like phone numbers you know like stuff that if you were you know interested enough you could certainly find out nothing like passwords or uh jathan's cube billing information or (laughs) jathan's cube number (laughs) well no that doesn't count because you you did search for that you you found that with with osn yep but it wasn't hard (laughs) no (laughs) <laughs> right right that's the point i make yeah so it it wasn't a, a very serious breach but the fact that they managed to get 105 million records is what really even half of this. those are legit yeah that's a huge yeah. percentage of the population it's, it's huge it really is yeah yeah absolutely so i guess be on the lookout for even more spam because that's you know really what these sort of targets are for they don't need your credentials they just need a valid email address the more valid email addresses they have the more valuable the list is lucrative yeah the more valuable that spam list is so besides keep an eye out for that they don't want your yes. account they want to sell you things yeah <laughs> right but that's not to discount like plenty of things do on account access but i'd say like nine me. times out of ten even with cred compromises it's just to get that level of spam access so yeah, that was. Yeah, if I have your login, not only can I send you spam, I can also like it on Facebook. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yep, that's very true. So uh, you can help, of course, also mitigate that by using unique passwords for everything, which is always a good and idea. And not using so Facebook. Two factor. And not yeah. using Facebook, just exactly. Just Facebook if you can. Or just yeah. run. Run while you or still can. Yeah, so there's. I'd say that's I'd it. Say that's it. I don't know. You guys have any closing remarks? I got nothing. No? Forge? Ladies and gentlemen, Peyton! <laughs> You're a son of a bitch. I hate you. Yep. Okay. Die in a fire. In jokeception. <laughs> Die oh in a fire. Anyways. <laughs> Anyways. Before you, you condone emulation of our guests, <laughs> this has been Sism Trivia. I'm Brent. I'm Peyton. <laughs> and I'm a son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> See you around. Thank you.
somewhere.